What's up, y'all, and welcome into the Jack Vita Show. I am your host, as always, Jack Vita, back here in action, taping this now in the middle of June, and we have a very fun reality TV and life conversation coming up today. I can't imagine we'll be talking a whole lot of sports, if any, today, but that's totally cool. Um, Even if you're not a fan of reality TV, even if you haven't seen the show that the guest that we have on today was on, I think you'll get a lot out of this conversation because this guy who I'm about to bring in has an incredible life story, an incredible Christian testimony, someone who survived trauma as a child um, and went from being an atheist to a Christian. How does that happen? We'll dive into it. Um, We're also going to talk about the show that he was just on. Uh, He is now a big time reality TV star. And he's got lots and lots of people want it lining up to have him on their podcast. He's already been on a few. Um, and he was so he competed earlier this year on the Traders on Peacock, which was a really fun show, really unique show, different show. Uh, there was a lot of freshness with that show that we hadn't really had in the reality TV genre. Um, he was the sixth person eliminated third person banished in the fourth episode of the show finishing in 15th place but seems like he had a really fun experience with it all um please welcome michael davidson yeah you you could have left out those stats where i was so early eliminated bro like you you didn't have to share that you could just be like you know like really popular on the show in the first four episodes you know you could have left out the elimination part <laughs> whatever oh my apologies well he's also in addition to that he works at a dmv still working at the dmv i don't know i actually just left that job and went i funny story i actually used to work um it's called the department of community-based services we issue like uh food benefits and health benefits to like um underprivileged families um or like poverty stricken families and so i was actually working there when i left to film the show i was a caseworker for the state um and then when i came back um i transferred jobs but i actually have since left the dmv and went back to my old job so but yeah so that's what i do now so. okay very cool so no longer at the dmv no longer at the DMV. but he's a father and one of the, but one of the things okay and i'm going to mention this here at the start of the show so i got a note like right before traders dropped from someone, one of the PR reps who had suggested I have Michael on this show as Michael had listened to this show before. Um, and unfortunately just I, January was a really crazy time for me, February up through spring training, but now I have a lot more time. He's got a lot more Liberty to talk. So we were able to make this work now. But one of the things I got in this little email, the bio said that he's a father, he works at a DMV and he has, I, I, I want to make sure I have this right. Not one, but two Australian Shepherds, right? I do. I have two Australian Shepherds. And I actually just got a doodle last week. So, yeah, now I have three big dogs. I don't know what I was thinking, but I've got three of them. So, Well, when they mention that, I'm like, I'm in on this guy. He's got Aussies. <laughs> I've got a mini Aussie. They're amazing dogs. I, I love my Aussies. <laughs> So, um, Michael, thanks for, again, thank you for joining us today. And 
Um, before we get into your experience in your life, I, I know that you are a big time reality TV fan. Is that correct? Huge. Yes. I love old school survivor. I like, I like the competition reality shows. Now, like the dating shows, it's not really my thing, but the competition shows like survivor, big brother, the amazing race. Um, that's where it's at. Like I, I love, and I'm a, I'm a bigger fan of the old school. Cause I felt like we saw a lot more strategy and will to survive you know like we had like true legit underdogs um now i feel like everybody's an underdog you know and so i was more of a fan of the old school but i, I still watch them all so so what would you say was the golden era of reality television oh gosh i think we as far as survivor era i think we peaked at maybe heroes versus villains um, I feel like we kind of came back at Cagayan. I think, um, yeah, I, I think we probably peaked at Heroes versus Villains. We've had a few, like David versus Goliath was amazing. Um, but I think we, we peaked at Heroes versus Villains. We really did. How did you start watching? Um, I, I, I was raised by my grandma, which we'll get into a little bit later. So there wasn't physically a whole lot that she was able to do with this. And so, she would teach us how to cook and we would watch her favorite shows. And so I remember watching the Rosie O'Donnell show with her one day when I came home from school. And I loved it because at the time she had these crazy desks, like made out of like Legos and hamster wheels and stuff. <laughs> and so it always caught my attention because she was real big on Nickelodeon and kids at that time. And so Survivor had first started to come out and she was obsessed with the first season. She was talking about this great show that's going to come on. And I was like, I want to watch this show. And so I tuned in and I remember watching Stacey Stillman eat that larva bug. And I'm like, holy crap, Mama. Like, I want to watch this. I, I love this. I'm going to do this one day. And I was like, hooked. And like Richard Hatch went around naked. And then the next season they had Roger, Kentucky Joe. And like him and Elizabeth was like everybody's favorite. You know what I mean? Like you had this old man and this little America sweetheart. And like they just captivated you. And like you had Tina like going out in the floodwaters and then in Africa, you had like the wildebeest standoff. They were like, like you had T-Bird, you know, like shooting cows in the neck, drinking blood straight from the cow. Like it was just like, I was hooked from the very beginning. Like absolutely. And it was all Rosie O'Donnell's fault. And fun <laughs> fact, if you're not an old school family, you don't remember this. She actually used to host the reunion show. Uh, her and Bryant Gumbel did a reunion show, but then that died off quickly and they brought probes in. So that was good. So. Yeah, yeah, she only she did the season four Marquesas reunion. Yeah. And Brian Gummel did the first three. Yeah. And unlike Brian Gummel, she was a huge Survivor fan. Brian Gummel was very uh he didn't even know his name. He was yeah. like <laughs> Ethan <whatever>. Zorn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your favorite? Uh did you have a favorite? I mean, obviously you were you were still growing up when the show was in its peak, and that was my favorite era of the show, I would say from Really, I would say from uh, season one through Guatemala, those the first 11 seasons, its own yes. era, and that was my favorite. Um, who was your favorite or favorites uh, contestants from that era of the show or just in general as a whole? Um, early on, I loved Jenna Lewis. Um, she had she didn't get the family video um, on it on season one, if you remember. Um, and it just like, like my heart went out for her and I was immediately drawn to her. And like, I felt like she was kind of like getting a shaft with, you know, voting alphabetically and getting her out. It was like, Oh, come on, man. Like, give, like, come on, like 
throw her a bone, you know? <laughs> and then you had Alicia who was real sassy with her finger wave in like <laughs> Australia. And it's like, I, those were my favorites. Like the people who didn't care to stand up for themselves and people who had no choice, but to stand up for themselves. Like it, what, I get it. Like you're, you're ripped, you're jacked. You're probably going to do good in challenges. You're not that great. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're built for this. That's not surprising. I'm not rooting for you. I don't want you to win. I expect you to win. Give me somebody who's an underdog. Give me somebody who's on the outs. And yeah, Jenna brought that season one. Alicia had that season two, you know, and I just, it, I've always loved the underdogs. Always love the underdogs. Have you felt like you're an underdog in your own? Like, have you felt like you were an underdog from a young age? Uh, I guess so. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess I never really put it that way or thought of it that way. But um, I, I, I think you, one could say that. Now, I, I think it's very, you got to be very careful because I don't want to make it seem like I've got a victim mentality or anything. Right. But um, I can definitely, I, I had to persevere a lot for sure. You know, and it's funny because, you know, on the show, I was clearly the underdog. If you watched, um, I didn't quite have that perseverance story like most of them do. They did get me out pretty early, but not as early as they wanted to. So, you know, that's true. Uh, the reason I asked, I just thought it was interesting of kind of like why you especially were drawn to those people. If you found some uh, connection with them and it sounds like you did a little bit, yeah. you got the joy of competing with a couple of survivor legends on the traders, which I'm certain had to have been a shock and I'm certain we'll get into that. But before you met them, what did you think of Stephanie and Suri? Okay. I know, I know Danny watches. Okay. I know Danny's been on and I love Danny. I love Danny. I do. But Steph, listen, I watched reality TV because I used it as a way as a way to escape my and I talk with my hands a lot, so sorry. But I used it as a way Fine. to escape my reality, I guess. And so there were people that I was just drawn to. And like Steph, my God, the woman lost like every challenge until she was on a tribe by herself. Again, underdogs. Maybe I was just drawn to her, but it was really no fault of her own. You know what I mean? And it's like when she finally gets there, it's like, oh, she's this strong competitor no she's not she's lost everything what do you mean you know and she basically didn't have a leg to stand on and she didn't stand a chance and so when she came back i was immediately like in love with her you know what i mean it's like okay there's there's no top in this girl she just literally came off the the best tribe ever you know all because of her making it to the end and so yeah i was rooting for her hardcore and when she made it all the way to the end i'm like yeah she's finally getting that win you know she can prove herself she's everything she is set out to be being the last one standing now she's definitely the last one and then danny beat her and i'm like <laughs> but i love danny too i love danny too but i was rooting for steph i was i was a steph fan so it's still I, most of us were steph fans and i'm i i mean look uh, danny and i are good friends too and i'm close with steph like at the time as a viewer yeah. i was definitely pulling for steph steph was my all-time favorite uh yeah Still is my all-time yeah. favorite. And she's exactly what you would expect her to be like. Her personality is exactly what you would imagine. Like, we have a saying here in Kentucky, we say down home. Like, if you ain't down home, just get around somewhere. I mean, like, you're you're just a good, genuine person. You're down home. And she's such a down home person. She's just all around a good person. And I absolutely love her and i would walk to the end of the earth for staff i do i absolutely love her so much so all right we'll we'll talk more about that in a second 
Uh, just on that thing, though, with Guatemala, I just had Brooke on. I just had Danny on. And believe it or not, Steph and I really have not talked about Guatemala at all really? on this show. So I know, Steph, I know you're listening. And I know you're really busy right now, but let's do a Guatemala show sometime, Steph, because it's on the top of my mind. I really want to gain some insights from your perspective. My thing that I thought was really interesting just with talking with Brooke last week, um, and for those who are tuning in, Brooke Struck Stevens, uh, who was she she suffered a similar fate to Michael on Survivor of the Guatemala. Uh, <laughs> she didn't last too long, but she left an impression on us. Actually, I wouldn't say she left as big an impression as you did, Michael. Definitely <laughs> not. Um, but uh, and Brooke's probably listening to this too, but Brooke is great. What I thought was interesting, though, is we kind of talked a little bit about how that game was. So so I'll say this before I get into that is I, I wanted Steph to win. But if Steph couldn't win, I'm glad Danny won because that yeah. was like my second choice of who I'd want to win, especially the last like six or seven people left. Um, but what I thought was really interesting was we talked a little bit about the situation that Steph got herself into. And again, I don't want to speak for her. I'd like to give her a chance to share her perspective. But my analysis is I think Rafe really took a lot of control out of her hands, keeping yeah. some people around, forcing her to get rid of Judd, forcing her to get rid of Cindy, because I believe that her plan was to get to the end with Judd. And Brooke said she would have won if that was the case. So I think a lot of people might not realize she actually was really close to winning, unfortunately for her. She was forced in a situation where she had to vote out some people, like backstab some people. She really didn't want to backstab. That wasn't her call, yeah. at least from my, again, this isn't what she said. This is my analysis and opinion of it. Um, so then she's got like three people on the jury that are so scorned that won't vote for her. And then Rafe made the bonehead decision of keeping Danny that far where Danny had three votes locked in already. So it was like there yeah. were three votes locked in for Danny and then two or three votes locked in against Stephanie. Yeah. So it was yeah. tough, but she was so close to winning. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, it sucks because like I said, her season prior, she again gave it her all. Like there's no, she's probably like, I would say hands down physically the best female competitor the show's ever seen. Yeah. Oh, 100%. And just to be so close, you know, it's, it's gotta suck for her, but you know, I would still be thinking about it if it was me. <laughs> um, well, that's like, I mean, you mentioned the competition stuff. If you watch Palau, she's maybe the smallest person physically on the tribe. And she's the best. Her and Bobby John are the two best competitors. Yeah. And there's that one challenge where, like, she's pulling extra weight, where they're running through the water. And, like, yeah. just such a such a tank. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's funny because whenever on day one of Traders she was wearing like this velvet dress and it was kind of short. And I just remember thinking, Oh my God, look at her legs. Like who is built like that? <laughs> and like, I even told Amanda, I was like, do you see this woman right now? Like, do you see her? Like her cheekbones, her, her thigh muscles, her calf, <laughs> like who is built like this? Like if there's a physical competition, we're doomed. Like if this is, in, I don't know what we're in store for, like what's in store for us, but if this is a physical competition, we're doomed. Look at her. And like <laughs> me and Amanda was like sizing them up as I was getting on the train. So, yeah. So you mentioned when you first met her, obviously 
you had to be very surprised to see these quote unquote celebrities or reality TV veterans appear. And we'll, we'll talk about Serena in a second, but you mentioned, you made mention of it, Stephanie exact. She was exactly what you expected. Exactly. So like, like I said, just so down home, so genuine, like, you know, some people you're like intimidated to speak to. No, she makes you comfortable immediately. Like it's funny. I had a thread on my jacket and I'm talking to her, she's like, oh, listen, listen, I'm so sorry. You've got a thread. It's very distracting. And she, like, rips it off. Like, okay, carry on. And I'm like, okay. So that was my, that was her first word. So he was like, let me get that thread off your jacket. So, yeah. But, no, I, I love her. I do. We still yeah. talk. Actually, we just talked about two days ago. We Steph's one of the, the few that I stay in contact with as far from the slip side. Sweet. Um, talk on the phone, text? Um, we text. We um, um instagram dm yeah uh, she she did call me once um <laughs> it was a pretty interesting conversation i won't share it for her sake but it, it was pretty funny and, and so like when we met up in new york she's like listen that phone call why didn't you just hang up on me i'm like because you're flipping stephanie kendrick i'm not hanging up <laughs> on you i'll talk to you for three hours if you want to um so yeah it was yeah i love steph i do yeah, and uh, totally echo what you say about her just being very down to earth, very real. Um, I honestly feel like she was kind of like a mythical creature in a lot <laughs> yeah. of ways because she did the shows, became a legend, and then just disappeared. So I think yeah. there's a little bit of like mystique to her. But if you actually like get a chance to talk to her or meet her, you'll see like how warm and friendly she is. Yeah, definitely family oriented, which I can respect. Like she's. Just an all-around wonderful person. And Sari, what did you <laughs> tell me about your experience watching Sari on TV and then meeting her? Okay, so Sari is, I would say, my all-time favorite. Like, if I had to rank, I would say Sari Parvati, like Sari Parvati, like those two. And so I can remember watching Sari, and it was like. I remember she was so funny because she's like, I'm on the old tribe. I'm considered old. And it was like, I wish she was my mom. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I wish this lady was my mom. Like, I absolutely love her. And so um, just going out there, it was like, I'm obsessed. I, we got on the train and like there was uh, tickets on our train car that had people's names on them. And it was me and Andy. Um, we were beside of each other. And then in front of me and Andy was Rachel and Cerise name tag. And I'm like, okay, so I know there's going to be reality TV icons because it was accidentally spoiled to us. There was going to be some icons. I was like, I only know one Cerise. And I swear to God right now, this is a little white girl from Kansas. I'm going to be so mad. I'm going to be like so disappointed. And I was like, reality TV by the name of Rachel. Obviously, I know one Rachel, but they're not going to give me Rachel and Sari in the same train car. Like, that's too iconic. No, they're going to separate those two. I'm not getting Rachel and Sari in my seat. It's just not happening. So, like, maybe Rachel is, like, a housewife from somewhere that I don't know because I don't watch that show. But anyways, so I tell Andy, I was like, listen, if this is Sari and you get to the end with this lady, you better cut her loose. I was like, she is... I called her the cerebral assassin. I was like, she's phenomenal. I was like, you don't watch Survivor. Let me fill you in. I was like, cut her loose. Align with her because everyone she aligns with makes it to the end. And she is very loyal. And I have watched her convince a guy to give up his guaranteed spot at a million dollars just because. 
And we saw her do it again on Traders too. And so it was like, you know, you've got to cut her loose if you make it. And then lo and behold, when I find out what happened, I'm like, Andy, did you not remember what I said? Did you not remember? <laughs> but no, um, I was like floored. Like whenever we pulled up and I did see Sari, I was like melting into the floor. And production's like, Michael, Michael, raise up in your seat. I'm like, I can't, I can't. Oh my God, I can't. I'm like, Michael, calm down for just a minute. Be quiet. Don't speak right now. I'm like, I can't, I, I can't. I'm like telling Andy and Amanda. And I'm like, listen, guys. And they're like, Michael, I think you have to be quiet. And then I spilled my water and I'm like, oh my God, Sarah's going to get in and she's going to slip in this water and she's going to fall and she's going to break her hip and she's going to get medevac before we... And they're like, I think you're getting a little carried away. And I'm like, you don't understand. You know, but yeah, it was it was pretty intense. So I'm obsessed with Sarah. Actually, true story, um, the whole reason, how I ended up on Traders is I apply for Survivor every year. And a couple of seasons ago, I did fairly well in the casting process. Um, and... I ended up obviously getting cut. And then through that casting process, I began to network with casting producers. Um, and I came across a lady by the name of Jazzy who was casting for Traders. And so um, Ceree's Game Changers episode, I think it's episode 10, the water challenge in Game Changers when she, man, she she flat out sucked it up. She did. I mean, she she, but she didn't give up. You know what I mean? And so that was the whole reason that I got off the couch and applied was watching her game changers challenge. And so just getting there and seeing Sri being there after her being the reason that I even applied for the survivor in the first place and ended up hearing about traders in the first place was just such a surreal moment. And I even told her on the train, I was like, listen, I don't know where you stand with me, but I'm with you to the very end of this thing. And we actually um, had stopped to eat lunch where they took a break from filming and like mocked us up and stuff. And so everybody was leaving to go get ready to start filming and everybody was in a vehicle and all the vehicles were full except for one. And me and Sari were the only two left. So we rode in that vehicle together uh, until we got to the point where we had to start filming. And so we could just like have casual conversation, no gang talk, no strategy talk or anything like that because the cameras weren't rolling. So we was just talking about our upbringing. We was talking about like growing up on soup beans and cornbread and just like cooking and our, our granny spanking us, you know, and all that stuff. And so I was absolutely just drawn to her immediately. And I told her, I was like, listen, I got your back. Like I'm, I'm never voting for you. And I hate to say this because everyone thought the same thing and ended up biting them in the butt. But I really believe that Sari had no interest in getting rid of me anytime soon. We saw she was one of the few who voted to keep me in the episode I was eliminated. I think that was the only time she didn't vote with the majority um, and so I, I think she would have returned the favor up until she no longer possibly could. But no, I'm I'm obsessed. I could talk about three all day. So you may as well just go ahead and change the subject now because we can keep going forever. <laughs> would you have? I mean, were you? I mean, in the in the time that you were in the castle, were you suspicious of her at all? And you given Andy that advice to cut her loose. Do you think you would have been able to do that yourself? <laughs> Uh, no, no, I would not have been able to do that whatsoever. Was I suspicious of her? It's funny because we got our phones back for Mother's Day because we started filming like two days before Mother's Day. And then they gave us our phones at night. Um, and they're like, you can call and they monitored us. They made sure we was there like with us. And they gave us like a production phone, not our actual phones. And like a researcher was standing there with us and they let us call home and say happy Mother's Day. And so I called home and I was like, happy Mother's Day. And my wife at the time was like, 
Ceres a traitor. Do not trust her. See, you, Michael, you've watched her play. You know she's a traitor. I'm like, shut up. Don't you talk about her that way. Don't you dare talk about her that way. And so, um, yeah, so Ceres was a traitor. But no, I would have never, even if she was, like, I would have never, I would have never, I would have been right there with Andy and Quentin. I would have been the dumb one getting the Reddit hate and the Twitter hate um, because I would have never, would have never voted against her, ever. Wow. Okay. So you were locked in with Suri, and I know Stephanie and Suri obviously have had an, a friendship that traces back to your favorite season, Survivor yeah. Heroes versus Villains, their pre-jury trip, which we talked about on the show before. Um, we had them both on here. And then what else was a part of that like voting block? Um, I would have never voted for Rachel and I would have never voted for Stephanie. I would have never voted for them. Had it came down to um, three voting one of them out and then them all, I would, have not, I would have not voted for Rachel in the episode she was eliminated. I would not have. Um, and the spot, Because one, Rachel stood up for me. Rachel was one of the very few that we saw that was very vocal for me. So not only did I love her, but she was vocal for me. So would have never voted against Rachel either. But um, And honestly, like going into it, it's really weird because it's like I didn't – I don't want to say that I didn't anticipate winning because my mindset was I've got a one in 20 shot at going home first. I've also got a one in 20 shot at winning the whole thing. So if I'm nervous about going home first, I may as well get excited. about it. And so that was my mindset going into it. But it was like, you know what? I'm just going to have a good time. You know, and I think we saw a lot of my personality in confessions. I had so many people and they're like, man, you're so funny in your confessionals. And I'm like, I know, but I was so not <laughs> on, I was so cringy on the actual show. Uh, um, but yeah, I think we, I went for a good time because like I look at past seasons, Boston Rob was pre-jury boot his first season. Um, and we can probably argue that he wasn't a target and lasted as long as he did. Uh, well, lasted as long as he did to make good moves because he wasn't a target because he was voted out so early pre-jury boot his third time you know and johnny fairplay didn't win huge icon you know what i mean so my thing was i'm going for the experience of a lifetime because i may not get this twice in a lifetime i'm going for the time of my life i'm not riding coattails i'm not going with the grain i don't care if people are saying go with the flow the flow will take you under and you will drown i'm not going to be one of these people who don't speak up and who don't play a game i'm i'm going to have fun and so um and i, I do feel like i did that we didn't see a lot of that side of me because again yeah. the edit portrayed me as like the you know cringy like awkward nervous and that is very much who i am like I, they didn't lie about what they saw we just also, I, there was one scene where I stood up and I like knocked over a chair and tripped over a chair. Like that happened a lot. <laughs> um, and so there, there were little moments that didn't get shown, but I'm very pleased with my edit. So um, I don't even know how I got down this rabbit hole, but yeah. So. You're good, man. No, you're good. Any, it, yeah. This is how a podcast goes. You can just say But no, that, that was my thing. I'm going to have fun. And so I'm not voting against Rachel and Sri and Stephanie because they're my fun time. This is my dream. This is 10 year old me is dying right now. And 10 year old me is like bonding the best I can with these ladies. So I would have never voted <laughs> against them. So speaking of the edit, I will say like, Michael, I, I really have been extremely impressed with you as I've gotten to know you outside of the show, because yeah. I do feel like they, 
for whatever they they got to tell a story and there's always only so much screen time. And there were a lot of the people who came back onto the show who are returning from reality, other reality TV shows. Um, yes. So they took up a lot of story. Um, but I felt like your edit was very like, like they definitely made you cringy in that way. And like, we saw some of the kind of like, awkwardness but i think the thing with you that's different is like you have a great sense of humor and you laugh at yourself for being awkward yeah goofy and it was like they i feel like i would have loved if they could have kept that part in where it's like yeah you know what i'm kind of goofy but i'm having a good time and i'm i'm enjoying it and then it would have been a little funnier because instead it it felt a little mean in some regards of how they kind of painted you and how some people treated you yeah um I, i didn't take it that way now i will say um there wasn't a lot of people that spoke to me. There really wasn't. And a lot of it was new faces who um, just, I guess, didn't want to paint a target on their back. And they knew I was public enemy number one. So the new faces, aside from Christian and Amanda, very few of them spoke to me. Like me and Andy were very close in the beginning. After the first roundtable, I don't remember speaking to Andy a single time. Um, Shelby, I was very close with Shelby and, um, Geraldine actually in the beginning before the missions would start, um, after that first round table, I don't remember ever speaking to Shelby again, like certain people just did not speak to me. I had the plague and they were not there for me, except for Amanda and Christian, um, the new faces. No, they did not speak to me. And aside from the celebs, you had Sari, you had Ryan, um, Rachel and Steph, no one else spoke to me. They did not speak to me whatsoever. Kate, when she was coming for me, um, now I will say after the show was over, you know, but it was very lonely there for a little bit. It really was. Um, but I didn't take it personal because I understood. But now, like I said, I didn't want to be that person. Like I, I've watched Survivor religiously since season one. Um, going back to the time that they started a final three, I don't know if I could tell you, if you were to just drop a season and say, season 27, who was third place finisher? I don't know if I could tell you off the top of my head. But now if you were to say, tell me somebody, they may have finished eighth place, but I guarantee I can remember them. Why? Because they didn't go with the flow, because they didn't care to speak up. And that was one of the things I think the reason you didn't see very many of our new faces is because they were so afraid to speak up. You know, Christian wasn't afraid to speak up. You know, so you, you saw a lot more of him. Um, other people, they were afraid to speak up. They were timid. They were afraid. And I get it because, like I said, I mean, I was pretty nervous, too. Whenever I heard my name come up, I was like, I'm not going home first. Are you kidding me? I came all the way out here. I don't want to go home first. Geraldine, Geraldine, Geraldine. You know what I mean? So I get it. But it was it was disappointing from my perspective. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think the th- part of the thing is the format with the trade yeah. is I – and I've mentioned this because I've had Stephanie on and we did a whole deep dive into traders after she, after the show aired. Um, but I've mentioned this before. I think there were a lot of flaws with the format. Now those flaws didn't keep me from enjoying the show. I thought the yeah. show was really fun, but it's extremely, if extremely difficult, if not impossible for the faithfuls to win, at least in season one, the way that the rules worked. And I think it would be cool if there are certain ways you can tweak it and we'll see what happens. There's going to be a season two. I have to imagine they're probably going to be filming that sometime soon. I would assume. I've not heard, but I would assume. Yeah. yeah. But the thing is, is like, 
if you speak out and you're right, there is zero reward other than, oh my gosh, this person is onto us. We have to murder them. We have to get them out. Whereas it'd be cool if, you know, I think there are a few things you could kind of do to change the, the way that the show is played in the, because you want to reward people who are confrontational. You want to reward people who are bold. So I would like to see, Hey, if you call somebody out and you're right, then you're, you have some, you win some form of safety. Also, I think with the challenges, it'd be cool if there was some kind of fusion between snake in the grass and traders where if you're a, the, if, if you complete a challenge, then you get a clue to who the trade, one of the traders could be. Therefore, the traders are going to try to sabotage the missions. Um, otherwise, I don't really see what purpose the missions serve because at the, I know it's for money, but if you are you know how it is as a TV viewer, you're like, okay, I don't care how much money is in the pot for me yeah. personally as a viewer. Like, <laughs> I don't care. It's not my money. So, <laughs> yeah. What do you but think? No, I, I agree with that. I, I do. I agree with that 100%. Um, like... I, I do think that our, it was a first season of a new show. So, I mean, I get maybe there's some kinks to work out. And like I said, I'm very pleased with my edit. I'm very happy. And I felt like production did great for me. And I would love another shot at it. I really would. Um, if I had another shot, I would do things different. Um, I do think there is going to be some changes to some formats. I saw an interview with uh, Kate Sree and Tony Ireland, who's like um, a producer with Studio Lambert. And she said there were some changes coming. She didn't elaborate on what they were, though. Um, so, yeah. But I... I think obviously there will be um, one thing that I noticed that a lot of people didn't was I didn't put two and two together that the last ones to come through the door were probably up for elimination um, and being talked about to be this. I didn't put that together um, as being suspenseful for TV, but I did. If you're the last one to come through the door, you're not a traitor because obviously if you're a viewer watching at home and three versus Reza, you know automatically it's Reza going home because you saw that Sri was the traitor. So I, I did put those two together. So there were a few people like Kate and Brandy that I knew for a fact weren't traitors. Um, but, you know, I play along. So. <laughs> and then uh, we mentioned the great Rachel Riley. Um, uh, yes. I'm so glad you brought her up because I love that scene where she defends you. Yeah. I think that, I think a lot of people got to see another, like the, a little more of who Rachel is as a person on this show, because yeah. I think people are, you know, she's a very fierce competitor. She's very competitive and she's one of the greats, um, but she's polarizing. And I know I have some friends who were not fans of her before watched her on traders. And were like, wow, like she's like, I think we got to see a little more of that, like sweet, compassionate, like yeah. defensive side of defensive of her friends kind of thing. Yeah. I love Rachel. Um, me and Amanda and Rachel actually have a group text and we text quite a bit. And Amanda one day was like, you know, Rachel, I don't think I would have liked you had I saw your original season of Big Brother. I was like, oh, yes, you would have. She carried the show. She like she's probably still seeing a chiropractor. You would have loved her. Um, <laughs> but no, um, it's like that's just who she is. Like I was very surprised. I don't want to say very surprised because I understand, especially now after being on one, that there's a lot that may be is said on day one that gets shown on day four and you're like I wonder what that was really about now like after like watching the shows back now i'm like i wonder what that, I wonder what that was really about that situation um but no rachel is phenomenal like i was surprised that she was 
so good because her edit on Big Brother was controversial, you know, very confrontational, you know, very loud and in your face. Um, I did not get that impression from her whatsoever. Now, the folks on episode eight at the round table may have a different view, but I never saw any of that from her. I absolutely love her. Like I said, I talk to her all the time um, in text, and she's she's wonderful. I, yeah. I love Rachel. So I love her, I've too. I've never got yeah. an impression from her. She's a great person. Really, really awesome person, Rachel Riley. Um, yeah. So you guys had like this, you mentioned it was you, you had those three. And then was there anyone else that you really trusted? The three CBS girls and I trusted girls. Christian. I trust trusted Christian with my life. Now, Amanda, I thought was a traitor, um, but I trusted that she would not vote me out. And I trusted that she had my back. And I didn't want to tell anyone that I thought she was a traitor because I wanted to have a friend in the traitor turret. I wanted someone who would not murder me. And so I didn't dare tell a soul that I thought Amanda was a traitor. And it's really funny. Like, I'll share some little behind-the-scenes tidbits, with yeah. you, especially since my six months is up, right? Yeah. Um, tell all the funny. <laughs> yeah. So um, on whenever Amanda told me that it was Geraldine talking about me, um, I, I told him, I was like, somebody told me and Ari specifically, it was like, who said it? Who said it? Why don't you tell us? Who, do you realize you're about to go home? I was like, what does it matter if I say it? One, I didn't say it because I thought Amanda was a traitor. And I didn't want her to murder me. But two, it was like, you guys already don't like me. So if I tell you my only ally at this point, you're not only going to vote me out, you're then going to vote them out. And I've lost my only person that I can fully trust. So I was like, I'm not telling you. You're just going to have to vote me out. It'll be a secret. I don't care. And I think I ended up telling Azra was the only person I told because me and Azra were, you know. But, um, yeah, it was really funny. And, like, Amanda, after the show aired, she called me and she's like, by the way, all that scene and all that arguing, my dogs are walking out there, but like, all that arguing over who, to who told you? I'm like, you told me. What do you mean? Who told me? It was you. I don't remember. <laughs> like, it was you. <laughs> <laughs> but you didn't get to see any of that so yeah what else did we not get to see that was pretty interesting or important to the story uh, as far as pretty interesting to the story um i feel like i feel like you saw what was tied in um because obviously like i was public enemy number one so you saw how i became public enemy number one um so i mean as far as like pertaining to the story you saw it what i do wish they would have shown is ryan found a flipping secret door like <laughs> ryan found one and they didn't show it what like the, yes the um the little armory room that everybody was going into he actually discovered the room before production told us about it he came in, he's like guys if you pull the if you pull the book down and we're like whatever and we all were like, get away from the door get away from the door and we're like oh my god ryan you found a secret door and like you show reza making fun of him with the pink panther theme and ryan's like i wish i could find a secret door but you don't show him finding the secret door so i wish they would have shown that but I don't know what's going on there. Ryan Lochte is a genius, confirmed. Yeah, he really is. The stuff that I really love about reality TV in the early days, kind of that heyday that we talked about, yeah. my favorite thing was seeing people from different walks of life coming together and establishing these bonds, these friendships, yeah. these connections, or maybe rivalries for that matter. Saw it in the early days of the real world, the Survivor, Survivor and reality competition shows have really changed a lot 
it's been on for, I mean, these shows have been on for 25 years now. So part of yeah. it is just a natural evolution, but I would have loved to see a little more of not only the backstories of you guys, but also just kind of the, the bonding, what you guys were doing in your free time. So like, it sounds like you spent a lot of time with Steph and Sari and Rachel. Do you have any good funny stories about them that are funny things that they said that didn't make the air? Um, as far as them specifically, there was, there was a moment that we were, we were riding to a challenge. It was me, Christian, Amanda, and Rachel. And obviously they're not going to show it, but we had just like a, well, they did like a full blown jam session to like Bob Marley <laughs> and, and just, it was, it was core memory from the show for sure. Um, Amanda was another one, like her wit would rival Kate. You know, and I don't, I don't know if they just didn't show her because where she was eliminated due to COVID, um, they just tried to like maybe ride her out a little bit so she wouldn't be so noticeably missed. She was so funny. Like there was one line that we saw her say, um, oh, it smells like murder out here. She had so many one-liners and she said them all day long. And like whenever they would ask me in my uh, MIV interviews, my like, like diary room interviews, they're okay, so... Here's the rundown. What do you think about this person? And I'm like, Amanda is an HR nightmare. Like she, she's an absolute HR nightmare. Um, so funny. Um, borderline inappropriate, but so funny. Um, yeah, so witty. Um, but yeah, there, there was a, there was a lot. Bam was another good one. Um, I feel like I feel like had he lasted a little bit longer and they had more to show from him or gave him or he had more opportunity to get into the middle of a storyline, he would have been a huge fan favorite. So yeah, I'm buds with Bam. That's my guy. He'll probably be on this show at some point. Um he's funny guy. He's really he great personality. He reminds me a little bit of uh Albert from Survivor South Pacific. Yeah. A little similarities there with those guys. But yeah. um and Albert, that's another guy. He was even funnier than we saw on the show because he's obviously been on this show a bunch. Um but um man so that's really interesting i'm curious i'm trying to think so um after you were eliminated what happens like did you stay in a hotel for a little while what happened from that point i on? stayed for i think about three days i stayed um i went back and did some like commercial shoots you know and some little which i never saw i never saw any of them um they would do like the um i guess promos for the show um, but I, I never saw, we did them at the reunion show too, but I've never, I've never laid eyes on them. So I don't know if they thought maybe let's just leave that on the cutting room floor, but I've never saw anyone do them, not even the celebs. So I'm not really sure what happened with that, but no, uh, me and Ryan Lochte went back and did some of those. And then, um, so that was like, yeah. cause Stephanie talked about that. She had COVID after, like yeah. she got COVID in the castle. And then yeah. when they did that little shot of her, um, I, I don't even, they had those little shots of celebrities kind of like, oh, and here's this person and this person, and this person. And they did that after the show. So was it like that, yes. that they did for yeah. you, but they never just never used it? Yeah. My, my, well, my opening scene where I had the axe looking all creepy, like I go back there and they take me to the, like a woodshed with a pile of wood and like an axe. And I'm like, listen, y'all, I know I'm from Kentucky and you probably haven't ever been to Kentucky. Um, so your stereotype is that I chop wood, 
but I can guarantee you there is not a soul who knows me who thinks I'm out here in Scotland right now chopping wood. Like, <laughs> I mean, we do chop wood in Kentucky, but I'm not one of those people who chops wood in Kentucky. Like my papa does, but um, so yeah, no, we did that after um, we, we took a little days afterwards and did stuff like that. So, and then did you get any time like to hang out with people before you guys flew home? Like what? Uh, me and Ryan did our day together, so I got to hang out with him, um, and that was really fun. Uh, our driver was such a stick in the mud, like our little researcher, because like we were like taking selfies and stuff, and he's like, "You guys can't do that," and I'm like, it's "Mind your own business, Kieran. Like, just turn around and drive. Like, leave us alone. Like, come on, man. Like, no one's watching. I can get fired. I'm like, no one's gonna know, Kieran. Like, he was very good at his job. I mean, like, I'm just kidding. Like, he wasn't a stick in the mud. He was good at his job. He was definitely not like a, a fun guy. You know, he was by the book. Like he needs a promotion if production needs a babysitter because he was <laughs> he was good. He didn't let us do nothing. So okay, so not as eventful as some of these Ponderosa pre-jury. No, here no, 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 of that. <laughs> it's funny because I actually asked because um, Azra was eliminated the morning before I, the morning of. I was I was like, can I just hang out with Azra? And like, she actually already went home. She missed her dogs and wanted to go home. I'm like, She's not even been gone for like eight hours from the show. What do you mean? He's already flew home. So, <laughs> like, Brandy's here. And I'm like, anybody else? <laughs> so, <laughs> did you get COVID when you were I on the show? I did not. No, I did not. And it's um, it's funny because, um, well, I don't know if I should. Um, Amanda and Stephanie were in the train car together on day one. And so, I guess if Amanda caught COVID from the from that area, sitting so close to Stephanie. Stephanie caught COVID. Um, and then me and Andy were right beside of Stephanie and Amanda. And so um, I, I, Andy ended up with COVID as well. And Andy and Stephanie stayed late together um, in Scotland. So it's a miracle that I didn't because we were all right there together in the, with, in the train car, but I did not know. So did they not quarantine anybody before they went in like how does someone come in and get covid on the show we were quarantined um and we had to have i per, well let me rephrase this i can only speak for myself because i don't know about everybody else but i can't imagine that their policy was different for only me um flying in i had to be covid tested uh three days before i flew in um i was covid tested the Second, I landed, like as soon as I landed, they COVID tested me. And then I was quarantined for about five days, I think, before the show started. The night before the show started, I was COVID tested again. Um, and then I want to say it was twice a day, every morning and every night during filming, I was COVID tested. Um, so I thought they were doing a great job. I really did. <laughs> I, I don't know anything about like... COVID protocols, though. I'm not a medical professional, so I don't know like how long you're supposed to stay in quarantine or how long to stay away. or I don't know any of those details, but I thought they were doing great. I was like, my God, can we slack up on it? Because my nose is kind of hurting. So, but yeah, it was, <laughs> I thought they did great, but apparently somebody <laughs> dropped the ball. So interesting. And did you actually sleep and stay in the castle? Um, Alan, I'll, I'll, I'll word it this way because I've been scolded before. So even though I'm outside my contract, I'll word it this way. Um, before the show ever aired, Alan 
revealed that no, uh, the cast stayed in a hotel near the airport um, because someone had asked him in an interview about the UK cast being shown, being driven to the castle every morning. And so it was no big secret. And so they asked Alan and Alan revealed that no, we actually stayed in a hotel beside the airport that we flew into. So if Alan says it, I guess it's true. So it's got to be true. Got to be true. It's got to be true. So was it actually like a day cycle when they said that every all this stuff happens in a day? And then I, I know Steph had mentioned that it's obviously stuff got to last longer, but there were some off days. Like you guys yes. maybe got a day or two off. But so was, what was the filming schedule like? Um, every morning, I want to say it was like 7 a.m. And then I would get back to my room whether that be a hotel room or a room in the castle, I would get back to my room probably about 11 o'clock at night, I feel like. So it was very long, very long days of filming. Um, and we had a, an off day or two. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that was like a union thing where you can't film whatever, or it was just like, okay, these guys are mentally exhausted. Let's give them a day because everyone's lying to them. And even the ones who aren't lying to them, they think you're lying to them. So let's just give them a day. Um, but no, I thought they, like, from a production standpoint, for me anyway, again, I can only speak on my behalf of myself. Um, as far as my mental health, they were amazing. Like, they they took care of me. Like, they actually came to me multiple times. Like, do you need to see the psych? I'm like, no, I'm just, this is me in my everyday life. I'm just anxious ridden, okay? Um, <laughs> like, I, I, I don't need to see a psych. You're going to make me cry. Like, leave me alone. Uh, but no, they were phenomenal. They were, like, amazing. Um, and they gave us breaks when needed like i i thought they did a phenomenal job i think that i would definitely like i mean that would just be tough i would think to leave a hotel room at 7 a.m and then come back at say 1 a.m yeah like i'm not the type of person that can just get home and go to sleep <laughs> so i would just imagine and then you have the fear of being murdered i just imagine i wouldn't sleep like i'd probably sleep in like three hours a night listen I thought the same. I was dead. Like I came <laughs> back to my room and I immediately, and like, even on our off days, our researcher would be like, um, we're going to order food. Like on our off days, we were not allowed to communicate with each other. Like we, there was no strategizing, no talking. If it was not on camera, it wasn't you know, allowed. And again, this, I can only speak for myself. That's how it was with me. Um, and so our researcher would be like, you want food? And then one day I was like, yeah, sure, whatever, bring me pizza. And so I woke up and it was like nine o'clock at night on my off day. And I was like, I remember it being two o'clock, just like five minutes ago, what happened? And so my researcher was like banging on the door. He's like, are you okay? I, I ordered you pizza, but you never came and got it. It's really cold now. Do you want something else? And I'm like, how long ago was that? It's like seven hours. And I'm like, sorry, I'm a bit asleep. <laughs> so yeah, I was exhausted. Well, I'm glad they treated you well. Is there anything that being a big time reality TV fan that this experience and now being behind the curtain, was there anything that surprised you of like, oh, wow, they do that? I was I didn't think that that's how they filmed that or that's how they shot the confessionals or the reunion shows. Is there anything like about that that really was surprising or jumped out to you? Um. Honestly, no, but I think the reason it's no is because I'm like an extended fan. Like I read the interviews, I follow them on social media, you know, I keep up to date. I don't just watch the shows. And so I'd heard about 
um, cut and splice edits. I had heard about, you know, different things to create a storyline, you know, so no, like I remember reading the interview um, from Survivor, I think it was 41, um, when Tori was eliminated, she was talking about how her and Marianne were such good friends and it wasn't shown. And it kind of goes back to our show. You didn't see it. You just, you saw Angelica and Azra talk once about how they were so close, but you never saw how that bond formed. You saw me and Christian kind of teaming up on Geraldine together, but you never saw us getting together to talk about it. So I wasn't surprised that it wasn't shown, but there was some very close relationships that I'm surprised wasn't touched on, at least touched on. Um, So, you know, I guess maybe. Well, this is, I'll give you a chance to agree, disagree with me. I made a couple mentions of a couple things that I would tweak in terms of the format of the show. There are a couple things that I would also tweak about the distribution and production of this show. Number one would be, I would love it if when when season two comes out, let's just assume in this, for the sake of this exercise, that season two is once again, a mix of new people and reality TV vets. So 10 and 10. I think the first episode would be really interesting if it if it was an extended episode, kind of like those long premieres of Survivor. Yeah. The first like section of the show, like I would love when they have like a big brother, celebrity big brother or the celebrity apprentice, they show each person. So it'd be like, um, Stephanie, what are you known for? And they show like a, a callback to her, like winning immunity in Survivor Guatemala and like yeah. flashbacks of what each person is known for and like why they're doing this and then get a little backstory of each of you guys. I think that would be cool. I, I think that, I think that would be good. I, I really do. Um, just because everybody brought, I mean, you have to think, I mean, there was something about everybody that, stole casting's attention. You know what I mean? And not only did we meet with casting, we met with production. They make the final picks. So there was something about everybody, but there was some people that you did not see until like episode five or six. You know, I remember watching it with my friends, like, who's this person? And I'm like, right. You know? And so it's like, you know, they were fun. You know, they had personality, you know, they were entertaining, but they didn't tie into a storyline. And so, I think that would be good. You know, like like the one-liners that Amanda had, had we saw that, or like me tripping over the furniture, had we saw that more often, that's what makes people relatable. That's what makes people likable um, is, you know, everybody loved Kate because she was so full of one-liners. She wasn't the only one though. Um, so I, I feel like had you saw more of that, it would have been... A bigger hit. I really do. I, I think so because people would have been able to relate to the people, not just find them entertaining, but relatable. And that's what makes a good character, a good personality is relation. So, yeah, it'd be cool if the first episode, like, was heavily concentrated on if, like, you guys had a day or two in the castle where it was just kind of like mixer kind of like mingling events of like yeah. seeing all you guys meet each other, talk to each other, see how some of these like see a conversation between Stephanie and Rachel and Sari being like, all right, like we're good. Like, yeah. cause we didn't see any of that. I think that we had cool. that. We did. We had that. We filmed it on a train. Um, and it was similar to like the UK. I'm not sure if you watched the UK version, but it not. was, 
it was the same. Um, they showed their train. They didn't show our train ride, which, you know, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I get why they didn't. Um, but it was, it would have been nice to have some of it edited in, you know, cause you would have got to see how that bond with Sari and Andy formed because me and like me and them, me and Andy, we were on the, um, train together. Sari and Rachel was in our seat with us. So me and Rachel bonded from the very beginning. Sari and Andy bonded from the very beginning, you know? And so it would have been nice to have seen that. Yeah, I think that would have been really cool. Great introduction. And what you were sort of saying about when you have that connection to the players and at least as a viewer, like think about early Survivor. And this is, again, this isn't just a critique of traders. It's most modern reality TV. And maybe I'm in the minority because I'm an old school fan. But like what was what was the thing with Survivor Tribal Councils in the first 10 seasons? It was a gut punch to see someone's dreams dashed on tv it was like man that sucks i feel for that person but now it's more of like a haha we pulled a prank on this person and i get some people like that but in a show like traders these people are getting murdered it should be extremely dramatic it should be like you should be gutted like oh my gosh michael no 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 why'd that have to happen to him like so i think that would be that'd be one thing i would change yeah a lot of people said that. A lot of people have said that. Like I read the Reddit boards. Um, a lot of people have said that. The second thing um, would be the distribution in terms of, I understand the idea of, hey, let's release maybe a couple episodes at the very beginning so people can watch a couple of these and they get into it. I would not have dropped it all at once because I was thinking about it. Like I remember when the reunion aired, I was texting with you and I was like, wow, like if this show, like in a lot of ways, I mean, maybe it was different for you guys. Cause you were on the show, you're involved in the show. Like I'm certain you had lots of fans reaching out, but like a lot of us, we watch the show and then we kind of move on. Like it's, and it's like, okay, now reunions popping up like seven or eight weeks after the show. Yeah. I binged it all in a weekend. Now I'm a little different cause I did do podcasts. So I've seen the show a few times. But a lot of people I know binged it and like didn't end up watching the reunion. But I remember when that reunion dropped, it's like, man, okay, so this would be the seventh or eighth week of the show, maybe the ninth week. And if you had this thing going every single week, it would have get I would have been able to do more content on it because I'd be like, hey, like maybe we start talking about the show every single week to to uh build it up. There's a lot of momentum going. I know other podcasts would definitely be covering it. It would give yeah. it a chance to, to kind of roll like a snowball down a mountain. Um, and then that the end game was so epic. It'd be like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen this week? I can't wait to see what's going to happen this week. And when you drop it all as a binge, I, I get it. It was a great event, especially for that month of January. But yeah. I think it'd be really fun if it was something that lasted longer than just a couple of weeks and it went on for a whole, you know, three months. Yeah. Um, from a player standpoint, um, and I think I think it's safe to say I'm speaking on behalf of every player <laughs> because, because a lot of us expressed our concern about it. Um, I really just wanted to have viewer. I wanted to have viewing parties. I wanted to have watch parties with mm-hmm. my friends. Like, I wanted to keep them in suspense because – like every elimination I went to, there was one vote separating me and the person who went home. And so 
I wanted to have those viewing parties with my friends and them be like, oh man, I thought she was gone. I thought she was gone. <laughs> but then it's like, I did have a viewing party with like a few on the day that the show dropped, but it's like they were getting bored. Like they were like, oh man, like I gotta go home. You know, I gotta, and I'm like, I know it's been like five hours. Like, please, like, you know, but you know, so I, I get it. I do. Um, from my standpoint, I would have much rather had weekly episodes so that I could have watch parties. It would have been made my life funner. Um, but you know, I'm not the professional in that. I don't know what their logic was behind it. Yeah, I wish I'm you guys could have. Wish you guys could have had that week to week experience in the viewing parties. I think that would have been really cool. Yeah. Is there anything else about the show that we, you know, didn't get to see or you wanted to talk about or share? Uh, maybe your takes on the show as a viewer or just anything else we didn't discuss before we transition to talking about life. Um, honestly, I loved the show. I thought it was different. I thought it was fresh. I thought it was fun. Uh, obviously, yeah, there are some kinks that worked out, but you know, I think even production has admitted that. Like I said, Tony had said in an interview that she's making some changes. Um, and I think that kind of comes with a, a first season of a new show. You don't really realize what would pan out until you get feedback from people. So I think that they welcome all that feedback. Um, but yeah, um, I, I did. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I would love to have an opportunity to come back. Um, yeah, I've made some of the most amazing friends from the show. Um, yeah, my life has just been an absolute whirlwind. Um, you're one of my friends, so I'm doing this <laughs> yep. now because of the show. So, um, but yeah, no, I, I loved it. I do. There, there were some things that I wish was different, but, you know, as a whole overall, I, I really thoroughly enjoyed it. So. Are you enjoying being a reality TV star? I think my life has died down. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm enjoying all the benefits from it. Like I was invited to um, a Survivor 44 event. I got to meet Carolyn and Jam Jam and Carson. Uh, it was just absolutely insane. Um, I'm going to Hearts of Reality in December. Um, it's just, it's, uh, it's a lot. And so like at the fan in me is like, oh my God, you know, and <laughs> Like, I'm really good friends with James from The Amazing Race. And I was like, James, I need you to, like, calm me down. I need you to, like, smack me because I have to be, like, talent here. And I want to be a fan here. I want to be like, can we take a selfie? You know, but I can't do that right now, James. <laughs> but, yeah, so, um, yeah, it, my life has been absolutely insane because of it. I love it. So that's awesome. That's really cool to hear about the connections and friendships experiences you had and it sounds like it's just getting going with a lot of that um you did you have anyone like recognize you in public um yeah well i'm from a very small town like very very small town so everyone here kind of knew me anyway but a lot of people here think i'm cool now <laughs> and they didn't um, I remember the first time I got recognized, I went to Bucky's. Um, I'm not sure if you know what Bucky's is. I think it's Oh, I love Bucky's, yeah. So I was at Bucky's in Richmond and a guy's like, um, are you are you that guy from that one show? And I was like, I am that guy from that one show. So I actually put that as my caption on Instagram, that one guy <laughs> from that one show. Because um, but yeah, no, it was um I I never do this, and it's probably a good reason why I shouldn't. But um, I got very upset at someone on Facebook. And so I commented. It was like a, a public figures post. And I commented on their post. I'm like, this is so disrespectful. And like, 
out of like their millions of followers, one of them replied to me and said, are you Michael from the traders? I'm like, leave me alone. Okay. I'm trying to like, I'm trying to fight social justice right now. Okay. So yeah. So well, I, I got, got it happened a few times. You got to compete on a, a game show too. I did. I was on let's make a deal. I did. Uh, Rachel actually cast me for that show. Um, I, I fared a little better on let's make a deal than what I did traders. Um, but yeah, that was a lot of fun too. So. That if was, you have Paramount Plus, it's the April 20th episode. So, And you were hilarious on there. It was really <laughs> funny. It was good. So, all right, we teased it. Michael's got an incredible backstory. Uh, this guy has been through, and I again, this is what I'm saying. Like, I really wish that this could have made the show because this would have added so much, especially like with the theme of the show and what the show's about. But yes. Michael survived trauma as a child i'm going to turn it over to you michael to to share your story yeah um no problem whenever i was a kid like i said i'm from a very small town um and the unfortunate reality in being from a small town like this is it's very poverty stricken it's very drug ridden um now that's not a knock against it the people are amazing there's some people who are phenomenal but the facts of the matter is whether people want to admit it or not is we have a drug dealer and a church on every corner i mean that's just how it is and my family the way they put food on the table and paid the bills and provided for me and my sister my parents were drug dealers and um when we were kids someone broke into my home as a result of that and murdered my family um, me and my sister survived and it's still an ongoing cold case investigation it has never been solved. Um, so yeah, um, I'm a huge advocate for like sober living <laughs> and like getting help because a lot of people have this mentality of it's, um, not hurting anybody. It's only me. Well, I can tell you, I never have done drugs and my life has been absolutely turned upside down as a result of it. So you are hurting more people than you think you are. Um, like I was raised by my grandma and she was an amazing woman, like such an incredible soul. Um, sweetest person you'll ever meet, loved her. She done everything for me and my sister, wonderful upbringing. And I can honestly say there were times that I felt like I had to be the man of the house at like 10 years old. And that was tough. Yeah, I remember going to the doctor with her and I was like taking notes on how to take care of her if something happened as a little kid, like as an elementary school student, taking notes on how to like lift her tongue and put a nitroglycerin pill under her tongue or like signs to look for in a stroke or how to set out her daily dosage containers. And I had to really step it up at a young age and it was hard. It was, it was exhausting. So I do feel like a lot of my childhood was robbed, um, but it kept me grounded. It really did. Um, because if I didn't have that, looking back on my life now, my options were I could be raised in a home where drugs were very present, where there were people in and out all hours of the day, all hours of the night, buying, selling, trading, whatever, um, or I could be raised in a home with a sick grandma and I was sorting out her daily dosage containers and taking notes at the doctor's office. You know what I mean? Like one, both were rough, um, but one probably wasn't going to lead me down a wrong path, you know? And so I can look back on my life now and I have thankfulness um, for, I, 
I wasn't raised in church. I didn't grow up in church or anything like that. I don't think my granny ever took us to church. Now, she wasn't a bad person, but I don't remember ever praying. But I can look back on my life now and I can see the Lord like shielding me from things. Like he removed me from a situation in such a way that I would never be tempted to not only go back into it, but to associate myself with people who were involved in it in any way. And so um, I, I try to practice gratitude and thankfulness every chance I get. And so I, I can say that now at my age that I, I can see shielding and, you know, good in my life that I experienced. So. Hmm. Wow. And we'll, we'll go a little deeper into this. So how old were you when this event happened that changed your life? Um, I was four. My sister was six. So. And you remember, like, were you awoken by this murder or were you, did you wake up the next morning and no one was there? Like, what was that? Yeah. Um, so my sister actually called a neighbor to come get us. And so a neighbor came, got us and kept us. And so the next morning, my uncle had came to visit and had found everything. And uh, from there, we went to live with my maternal grandmother. So and we would been with her ever since until we got adults moved out around. But, what was that healing process? What has that been like? Are you still healing in some ways? Um, you know, growing up, it was really weird for me. Like it caused me a lot of it caused me a lot of anxiety. Like it really did. And I think I like, I suppressed it. I pushed it down and it's so dumb to admit and say out loud, but I was embarrassed to let people know that I was hurting or that I was bothered by things. And I don't know if that was because like my sister took a different route and she was a little older than I was. So she turned to drugs. She's sober now and has a good job. But during the time she she turned to drugs. I remember she overdosed the first time in sixth grade. And so for me, it was like, I have to take care of my granny. I have to be the one that does this. And I remember just this weight of the world on my shoulders and this mindset of I have to be strong, even as a little kid. And so I never talked about it. I never once discussed it. I never talked about my parents. Um, I can remember making like those little milk carton flower pots on Mother's Day at school and being so mad at the teachers, like, we're from a small town, you know, I don't have a mom, you know, like, why would you make me sit here and do this? And like, it was just, I, I don't know, I had a lot of anger at people because I, I felt like you should know that I'm hurting. You should know that I'm bothered right now, but you don't care. You're making me make a macaroni necklace for my mom and you know, I don't have one. And whatever i can take it to my granny but she's not the same like i just remember being so mad all the time as a kid and like my aunts and uncles were wonderful but like they would go on vacation and i wouldn't get an invite you know and so it really hurt me because it's like you know that mama's not able to take me you know that she's not physically able to step up and do these things you know and most of my family was, I wouldn't say wealthy enough to have a vacation, but there were some that did. And it, it just, again, I developed anger toward people because it's like, why are you not stepping up into this role that I need you to step up into as a little kid? 
And so I really just responded by just anger. And I, I have a cousin. We're pretty close now. Actually, I just saw him the other day. We was talking. But growing up, I lived with uh, his family for a little bit because my grandma had cataract surgery and couldn't you know, take care of herself. And so um, and she had some strokes. And so she got to the point where she was really bad off. So we had moved in with my aunt. And so me and my cousin, we fought every day, like every single day. Um, but like, he's like significantly older. I'm talking like he was like late 20s, early 30s. And I was like 12. So, um, but in the back of my mind, I'm like, I want you to be my big brother. I want you to be my dad. You know what I mean? Like, and but I never would say that. I never would tell them, this is what's bothering me. This is why I'm so upset because... I didn't want them to know that that bothered me. I didn't want them to know that I was sad. I wanted them to automatically know that they should step up to the plate and be who they knew I didn't have. And so um, I suppressed a lot. And then, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was a long time. And so I went to church one day. A friend of mine had invited me to come to church, and I was like, "No, I'm not coming to church. I have no interest because." If God was real, where was he at in my life? You know, where where's this great fairy tale of a man that makes sure everything goes great in people's lives? Because my life hasn't been that great. And it's not because of the consequences of my actions, because I was a little kid. You know, I was in elementary school. There was no actions to be taken to have consequences for. And so um, I was making an excuse that I was going to get pictures taken the, like later that week, I was like, I got to go buy clothes to get family pictures taken. And she thought I meant I was going to buy clothes to come to church. Cause I'm like, I, I got to go buy clothes. And she's like, Oh, okay. Well come on then. And I'm like, no, no, I'm, I'm buying clothes for pictures. I'm not buying clothes for church. And she's like, come on. And she was so excited. And it was like, oh, God, I guess I better go because she's so excited. Well, the lady sang really good. Like the worship leader at church, she sung so good. And so I went back for her singing. Um, it's like, ah, may as well go back. That lady did sing pretty good. You know, that was the mindset. And so I started feeling conviction. And I guess I didn't really know what conviction was. But um, I remember going upstairs in my bathroom in my townhouse I was living in. I was looking in the mirror. And I was like, God, if you're real, I can't do this. You know, because where I'm from in Appalachia, it's like very strict, hardcore holiness people. And it's a lot of outward appearance where the stereotypical beehive hairdos and the long skirts and like the long sleeves. And I was like, I can't do this, Lord. I, I can't do this. If you're real, I can't do this because this is not who I am. And so I went, um, I went to church. I remember telling the Lord on the way, the whole drive, because I lived about 30 minutes away from the church. And the whole drive over there, I was like, I, I, I just, there's there's no way I can do it. If if half these people that I know or that are claiming Christianity are going to make it, then I'm going to make it. You know, I'm, I'm going to be just fine too. I don't need these people. Um, and so I get to church that night and the pastor is talking about how sometimes you feel like you can't make it. And he's like, even if you have to nail your feet to the altar, you stand back up. And he referenced one of those punching bags. You probably have one as a little kid that has the sand in the bottom of them and they were inflatable and you hit them and they just bounce back up. And he referenced those and he's like, get back up. If you have to get back up a thousand times, get back up. And then 
the associate pastor later was talking about how it's funny because whenever I share this, I'm like, he was telling a story. But like now that I know scriptures, like ah, he's probably just reading the Bible. But um, it was like he was talking about how the, these people were on a boat and there was a, this insane storm and they could see the end in sight. And the shore was right there. It was in sight. Um, they were so close, but they weren't close enough because right before they got to the shore, the storms overtook them. And it was like, did I literally pocket dial this man? Because I literally just argued with God on the way over here. and was like, I'm close enough. If these people can make it, so can I. But those people have God. You know, those people have mercy. Those people have grace. Um, I don't have that. I don't have a relationship. And as a Christian, I believe there's only one way into heaven, and that's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I can be as good of a person as I want to be. I can feel that I'm as close as I am, but I'm not close enough if I don't have that personal relationship with Christ Jesus. And so um, I actually went to the altar that night. Um, it was a Pentecostal church. And so if you've ever been to a Pentecostal church, everyone's kind of crazy sometimes. And so I was looking around and everybody was at the altar that night. Every single person in the church, it was probably 200 people in the church. Every single one of them was at the altar. I was the only one and I gripped the back of the pew, um, where I'm from, they call it white knuckling, you know. Um, and so I gripped the back of the pew because I didn't want to get up. And I just started crying. Like tears were just pouring down my cheeks. And before I could even think, my feet were moving toward the altar. I was just walking. It was like the conviction was so strong. It's like the Holy Ghost himself was physically moving my body to that altar. And so I did. I got saved that night. And so I just remember thinking, Lord, two minutes ago, I didn't believe you. Two minutes ago, I was fighting with you, um, arguing, like, prove yourself, show yourself to me. Um, and I can't explain it. It's an experiential thing. But how I'm feeling now is better than I've ever felt in my entire life. So whatever else you have for me, I'm going to go into it with an open mind. Because I'm not going to say, well, this is all there is. I'm coming in for more. So whatever it is you have for me, I want more. I want more. Give it all to me because I've been so miserable and I've been so sad. Like mine's, I don't remember a day of my life that I wasn't sad, that I wasn't disappointed, that I wasn't hurt. And so I want everything you have for me. And so, um, yeah, from that day forward, I just began to throw myself into praying and fasting and reading. And, you know, I'm not going to say that I've been like blown away every day since, you know, by no means. I mean, I, I still struggle. I still make mistakes. But being so thrown into it very early on helped me get grounded. You know, it wasn't like I just got saved and went back to my seat and I went out the door. No, I, I threw myself into it. It was like, okay, your word says faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains from here to there. But the next line of scripture says this only comes to those with prayer and fasting. A lot of people don't share that extra, that extra line. They stop at the faith the size of a mustard seed. So I'm going to pray and fast. I'm going to push my plate back and I'm going to get into it. And so doing all those things and really getting into it is what helped me get grounded in the beginning. And it's something that I desperately needed in the beginning. Uh, and I still do today. I 
I can't say with 100% honesty that I do it every day like I, I did at one time, but I needed it to get grounded. And I'm thankful that I'm grounded. Even though some days I do fall over, I, I get back up. Um, but yeah, I can like going past the, I remember a lady came to a revival at our church one time and she had been given a stage three cancer diagnosis and was told she had six months to live. And she came on a Sunday and no, she came on a Tuesday. I take that back. Revival started on Tuesday, uh, Sunday. She came on a Tuesday. On Thursday, she came back, went to her doctor on Wednesday. So Tuesday, she was at church getting prayed for. Wednesday, she went to the doctor. Thursday, she came back to testify that her doctor told her he didn't know what happened, but she was cancer free. Uh, he told her the week prior, she had six months to live, comes back the next week and says, you're cancer free. And she's still alive today. And so and she's cancer free today. And so like there's different things like that that I've seen. Like I remember my mama when she went into hospice, she um, her skin began to model. I mean, she was dying. I mean, she hadn't woke up in three days. They basically told us, you know, she's she's got minutes to hours left to live. If you ever know people in hospice, they'll give you a time frame. It's like, you know, minutes to hours, seconds to minutes, days to weeks, whatever. And so she had been given minutes to hours left to live. Her skin began to model. She was turning purple. She hadn't woke up. She hadn't ate. They had stopped her pacemaker. And uh, a man of God came and prayed for her. And she woke up and she walked out of hospice and she went home after being in the nursing home with dementia for seven years. She went home and lived for an additional six months and passed away in her home, in her right mind. And so like it's experiential, like I see things. And so like there's a lot of people these days and they like share hate and they're like, oh, God doesn't approve or um, I'm not going to say God doesn't approve of anything or anyone. That's up to you and your own convictions and the Holy Ghost to tell you what's right and wrong. I know what I believe and I'm going to live in my convictions. and I know what the word of God says. And so I'm going to go with my own convictions. Um, but I'm never going to condemn anyone because if I'm telling you, you know, what what this great person who I've experienced great miracles from doesn't like about you, you have no interest in getting to know him. You don't want to know the first thing about him and you're not going to want to know the first thing about me. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to leave the convicting up to the Holy Ghost and I'm just going to be a loving vessel. And um, because I've needed love and I wasn't given love. I've needed love so bad at a point in my life when I was never shown love. And I've needed deliverance that can only come from a man who I would have never got to know. I've needed miracles that came from a man who I would have never got to know. So I don't share my faith as much as what most Christians should probably say that I do. Um, but honestly, like, I don't think that I'm going to be the reason you're in heaven or hell. I really don't. I feel like that's doing the Lord an injustice. Um, I'm not saying don't be a witness. I'm not saying don't share things, um, you know, but I'm saying if something isn't making your palms sweat and making your chest pound, um, sometimes you're casting your pearls before swine. So I think it's very important that if you're going to witness to people, you need to feel the need to witness to people, share and post about how God hates you or something like that is not going to draw anyone to know God. And so I always get so discouraged when I see Christians do stuff like that because I was once that person and I was never once shown love. And 
and a, a Facebook share never once made me want to come to know the Lord. And knowing him now is like, gosh, I wasted so much time. Like my life, all those years, I could have been okay. I could like that's the word for it. I could have been okay. All those times that I thought, man, why didn't I just die? Why why wasn't I the one murdered? Like those thoughts, no one should be having those thoughts. A kid shouldn't be having those thoughts. And like, I know a guy, I know a man who can take those thoughts from you. I know a man who can say, you know what? Maybe it's a blessing. Maybe it's a blessing that someone broke into my home and murdered my parents at gunpoint. Like maybe that's, maybe that's a blessing. Maybe, maybe I was saved from this lifestyle and changed that entire outlook on things. And it's helped so much with just who I am as a person and just I get so defeated and so disappointed sometimes when I see self-professed Christians on social media. It makes me so mad. Um, so I just want to say to anyone. Well, I want to before before I think it's important to clarify what it is that you're disgusted by. You're disgusted by Christians that are sharing God's word in a way to yes attack other people who don't believe the same things and maybe intimidate into like believe what I believe or Absolutely. use this or political type of way that people might use religion. I think that's what you're talking about. Yeah. Not someone sharing like, hey, here's a Bible verse that really yeah. had a big impact on me or the stuff you're saying right now that we're going to put on social media later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and like you, you see people and they'll use like the Lord's word, like a Bible verse to bring hate and condemnation on somebody. And that's not, I, I saw, uh, I saw like Amanda Crabb and she shared a video and she's like, that's not your word to use as a weapon. You're not going to weaponize God's word. That's not your word to weaponize. And so there's so many people who do that and all they're doing is just pushing people further away. And like me being someone who desperately needed him, and nobody, I can tell you right now, I'm from the Bible Belt, y'all. Not a single person came to me and said, son, I bet you're hurting. You've gone through so much, and I know you've gone through so much. I bet you're hurting. Come here. Let's talk about it. Let's pray about it. Let me tell you about this guy. No one done that. Not a soul done that. And I probably saw a thousand self-professed Christians a day, every day of my life. And so I'm all about showing the love of Christ and then letting Christ do the conviction. And so um, sometimes I feel like maybe I'm not doing enough. Uh, maybe, maybe some would say I'm not bold enough or maybe some would say that I'm not strong enough. But is my boldness really doing anything or is my kindness and my love and then saying that I love Jesus doing more than that? And so that's kind of where I, I go with that. So, well, that's first of all, thank you for sharing. That's an incredible story. Um, I find this really interesting, though, sort of what you're kind of talking about how you've seen people um, weaponize God's word. And I, I honestly feel like that's maybe a cultural difference because I'm up here in Chicago and there just maybe there just aren't that many people who profess Christ. So the people who do profess Christ, I've seen 
more people live it out with their lifestyle, yeah. back it up and not really use it in a hateful way. But I also don't live in uh, Kentucky. I don't live yeah. in the Bible Belt. So I think that's probably a big cultural difference. It probably is. And so um, I'm actually glad that you shared that with me. I really am because um, it really changes my view on God's people. It really does. Um, but yeah, I, I don't see love shown from God's people at all. I see, um, for example, I know a lady who her child was very sick and a pastor flat out said, maybe you shouldn't have had the baby out of wedlock. You know, um, I had a funeral that I went to for a relative the other day and a pastor would not preach the funeral because he said that he did not know uh, where her soul was um, because she also listened to secular music. And it was like, that's, that's a bit extreme, don't you yeah. think? Like, you literally have just turned an entire family away from Jesus because yeah. you say that you're his messenger. So That's really disheartening and sad to hear about um, because I do think that, first of all, someone can say they're a Christian and not actually be a Christian. Um, the main thing is follow biblical Christianity, follow yeah. God's word, study God's word and get to know Christ through what the Bible says about who he is and just keep studying that, studying that, find a church that also shares that beliefs because what Michael's saying is true. There are a lot of churches out there in really all sects of Christianity, there there are some bad churches in what I might what might line up with my theology. There are people that still use that and are not um, don't have the best intentions at heart. There's actually I, I recommend this, Michael, and to the listeners, um, anyone who maybe hasn't seen it, this documentary series, American Gospel. Have you heard of this, Michael? I've not. No. It's a great documentary series. The first one is about the prosperity gospel and the word of faith movement and how televangelists and megachurch pastors have corrupted and taught a gospel that is not accurate in a way that they can make a bunch of money and, yeah. and scam people. And then the second one is a little different, but highly recommend those documentary series to anyone that's listening to this and maybe experience some of the church hurt because just because there are bad churches and people who profess Christ, who don't live it out with their lifestyle, don't actually love others the way Christ did. I don't want that to be the thing that keeps you from pursuing the most important thing that you can ever pursue and ever find in your life. Yeah. Anything to add? Uh, no, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. So, yeah, it's the it's the best decision that I ever made in my life. Is I went from someone who was broken and hurting to someone that has joy. And yeah. like your talk, your story is a great example, Michael, of someone who went through the roughest childhood situation that I think of anyone I know. I don't know anyone else who's had both their parents married, murdered at a young age um, and then grew up with your, your grandma struggling a little bit. Uh, 
but here you are still pursuing Christ and it disproves that prosperity gospel of like, yeah, well, if you follow Christ, everything's going to be okay. You're going to be healthy. You're going to make money. No, you're going to struggle. You're going to, yeah. you're going to struggle. And Michael struggled before he even knew Christ, but guess what? He finds joy and comfort in the Holy spirit. Yeah. And I know that you were an atheist right before. I don't think you mentioned yes. that on this podcast. Yes, I was. Um, like I said, I, I just never saw the Lord. And so it was like people would talk about how great God was. And it's like, are, are you sure? Are you sure he's not just a fairy tale, like the tooth fairy or Santa Claus or something? Because I don't see this great God. But then, like I said, um, no, nobody ever came to me. Nobody in my area. Like I said, I'm from this very strict Bible Belt, though. And then once I got to know him, like once I literally, I was standing in my bathroom mirror full-blown arguing with him like whatever if you're real you know and so every question i had was answered uh in a sermon and from that moment i just was like okay i didn't even believe you existed you can't tell me that you don't how i'm feeling right now you can't convince me that you don't what else do you have for me and so i got rooted in the word of god and i began to do everything that i was seeing um rather than everything that i'd heard from christian people and so um like I said, I began to pray. I began to fast. I began to read. Um, and I just really began to dive in. And it helped me get grounded um, to the point where even when I did fall, I was able to stand back up. So, And how have you seen your life been transformed since then? Oh, gosh. I mean, it, like in every area, just like, and I'm not even talking about like physical blessings, um, just how I feel inside. I mean, like, yeah, I, I still have social anxiety. Like I, there's times where I'm like, oh God, this person hates me, but I'm not like, I should have died. I'm not like, you know, all depressed and defeated all the time. I have joy. I have happiness, you know, like even on my worst days, like, like you were saying earlier, I literally went on a reality show, had a full blown anxiety attack, cried like a baby girl in front of everybody, you know, like absolutely blew it and humiliated myself, but it's funny. You know what I mean? Like it was a cool experience. It was a once in a lifetime experience. And like, yeah, so what? I cried on TV. There was thousands of other people who applied to cry on TV and didn't get the shot, you know? So it's like, I'm just gratitude. Like I'm constantly just overwhelmed with gratitude and I, I, I'm just a joyful person overall. Hmm. And I find that really interesting how you sort of, so let me ask you this for someone who is an atheist right now, how would, I mean, obviously I know you, you were kind of clear about how you kind of go about living out your life and sort of letting your love and your lifestyle show people who Christ is. But I think an atheist might ask you, gee, like you went from being like this logical, rational person who believe who believed in whatever to now believing in something that is irrational. So logically, how does it make sense to you? I can guarantee you there's not an atheist one who's not miserable. I can promise I would lay down my life on that fact 
that there's not an atheist one who's not miserable. Like there's there's sadness. There's something missing. You know, you always hear people say, oh, I just need that one thing. You know, there's something missing. If I just had a better job, if I just had, you know, this or that, that one thing is Christ. So you're you're going to be longing for something that you don't have. Like you see it all the time. You see people who have depression who commit suicide. And I'm not saying these people don't have Jesus, but um, you're like, you were the funniest person. You were so loving. You were so lively. You were so outgoing. You were hilarious. You were so fun to be around. Everybody has something that they don't speak about. And I can guarantee you, if you don't have Jesus, there's something missing. Because I've been that person without Jesus and there was something missing. I held it in. I didn't let people know that I wanted to be hugged. And I didn't let people know that I wanted them to step up to the plate and be the person I wanted them to be. Instead, I was just angry and annoyed. And people thought I was a spoiled little brat. But there was something missing. And that something was Jesus. And there's not a single person I know, even you just said it yourself. Now you have joy. You probably wasn't going around. You probably didn't know you were, you know, depressed or sad or whatever, but you have a joy now. And every single person I know who's come to know Jesus at some point in their life will tell you, before I knew Jesus, this. Before I knew Jesus, there was this. And people don't speak about everything that's going on in their life. I can guarantee you there's not an atheist one who isn't miserable whether it be in some area of their life. And I'm not even talking about a fear of heaven and hell. Um, Like if you were to tell me right now, hey, sorry, man, heaven's full. Best I can do is a Pizza Hut gift certificate. I would still be living my life as a Christian. I still would. I would still believe in Jesus. I still wouldn't go out and willfully sin. I still wouldn't go out and do these things that, You know, we all have a decision to make. You know, it's like when you pull up to the gas station, I'm not going to go in and rob the place. It's a a willful, it just comes natural. I'm not going to go in and rob the place because I'm a good person. So when you become a Christian and you develop a relationship with Christ, there's even the small things that seem okay to most people in the world that you just don't have a desire to do. And because you don't do those things, you're just a, a happier person. You're not tempted by these miserable things. You know, you don't let little things bother you. There's a peace, there's a joy that you have that you can't be brought down from certain things. And it just comes natural. It comes along with it. And so if you are struggling with anything, whether it be like, oh man, this person upsets me, find Jesus, guarantee you, guarantee you it'll help. You know, I'm not saying you won't ever get upset again, but I'm guarantee you the way that you deal with it will be helpful. And so just that, that would be my advice. Um, I wish I had the answers to everything, but I don't. Point blank, I don't know. I, I don't know. The answer is I don't know. But I know how I feel. I know what I've experienced. I know what I've seen. And I know what I wish I would have been shown. And I wish I would have been taught. And my goal is to show and teach those things so that everybody can feel how I feel. But the only way for them to feel these things is knowing and forming a personal relationship with Christ. So, Yeah, and I love what you said there because that's exactly my life. Like I, I tried to do things on my own. I tried to pursue worldly 
things. And even when I got them, I just felt more empty. Yeah. And it was, it was like, I had this, I had this hole in my heart that only God could fill. And I think everybody's got that, that, that place that Christ should be in one's heart. And for me, that was like, once I actually went, f- took the step of like, okay, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to read my Bible sometimes, but I, I'm gonna, still going to live for myself because I grew up in a Christian family. I grew up um, in a lot of ways where I would say I was a Christian, but I never fully put Christ at the center of my life as my number one priority. Yeah. And ever since then, I've encountered joy that's intoxicating. It's um, addicting. And like you said, God gives you a new heart. You d- the sin no longer becomes attractive to you. And when you do things that he tells us to do through his word, I find so much more contentment and joy. Like when yeah. I'm doing something, like I'm serving somebody else, it's really a selfish act because, yeah, you know, I am doing something that helps somebody, but it it gives me so much joy knowing that I've helped them like that. Yeah. It's like, it's selfish of me to do something that we would call selfless. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. I totally agree with that. So, um, did you have a favorite Bible verse or, um, piece of scripture that really spoke to you? Um, the Bible verse that really changed my life, um, was Romans one twenty. Um, it says, look around at the earth and the sky. There's no excuse for not knowing God. You know, like people can say, oh, well, I don't see him. I don't feel him. I just don't believe in God. Where do you think these trees came from? Where do you think, who, who do you think told the ocean to stop right here and the shoreline to stop right there? You know, what, what about the stars in the sky? You know, look around. There's no excuse for not knowing God. And me as someone who would say, oh, well, I don't I don't see him. I don't feel him. I don't know God. You know, God's not real because of this. It was like when I read that scripture, it was like, there's no excuse. I'm not listening to it. You can get to heaven one day and you can say at the front gate, man, you done this to me. You allowed this to happen. You allowed that to happen. There's no excuse for not knowing God. You know, you need your evidence. I don't owe you anything. Look outside. I've given you enough. And so it was... Romans one twenty, Romans one twenty really changed my life. So. Amen. Well, thank you, Michael, for sharing your story today, and we got to really dive into your backstory, your faith, your time on the show. And uh, before we go, I mean, is there anything else you wanted to discuss while you were here? Um, I do watch UK basketball. I know you oh. say I, I'm not a sports fan, but I do watch UK basketball. I don't watch baseball, but I do watch a couple of UK basketball sometimes. Oh, my gosh. Sometimes. Oh, I used man. to work at Rip Arena. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe I didn't know this. It was because we did our we did the bracket pool, and you're like, oh, I don't know anything. So <laughs> I just thought, you're like, nope, no sports, no sports. Oh, my yeah, God. I don't know okay. a thing about any of them except for UK basketball. I, and I actually you. thought UK man. is winning and was out immediately. So, Well, and I don't really watch – much NBA anymore, but uh, there are several Kentucky players in these NBA finals, or at least yeah. that we've seen over the last couple of weeks, like Bam Adebayo. And yeah. actually, did you work at Rupp in 2016 to 2017 that year? Uh, 
No, whatever year John Wall and Mar- uh, Demarcus Cousins. Yeah, 20, 2009 to twenty ten. Yeah, that's when I worked there. Oh so. man, they were really good. That team yeah. was very, very good. Um, you have a fun experience when they won with Anthony Davis. <sighs> oh, not really. No, I'm not. That <laughs> I'm not that into sports, you know. But you watch them last year at all? No, no. no okay. All right, so little you had that the one nugget of like you worked there for a year when they yeah. were great, but okay, yeah, so when I they didn't, were great, yeah, I didn't mi- misrepresent you. Yeah, yeah, they should have won. Yeah, they, I mean that was they, that's kind of been that's been the Cal thing though, is they bring in all the freshmen and they have yeah. like these extremely talented teams, but it's hard to win when you only have one year, and then yeah. each year you have to you have an entirely new roster. Yeah. I'm glad I didn't entirely misrepresent you then. Yeah, I'm glad not. I do know where Coach Cal lives, though. I do know where he lives. So, ooh, yeah. Ooh. So if you, you ever watch. come visit Kentucky, I'll, I'll okay. Take will, you will people to watch? House. Will people watch Coach Cal? I know you're a big people watch guy. I I'm a people watcher. I he has a big <laughs> fence around his house, so I can't really see that good. But I do know where his house is. <laughs> Very cool. Um. Well, Michael, uh, thank you for coming on today. And we got, like I said, we got to discuss a lot. Thank you for being generous with your time. Thank you for being patient and uh, waiting for me to have you on. Um, But I'm glad we were able to do this. And I'd like to give you a chance to plug or promote your social media or anything that we should be checking out from you in the future. Any projects? Um, I do have something coming up. Um, I I can't discuss it right now, but I do have something coming up very, very soon. Um, it's pretty exciting. I'm pretty excited about it. I'll text you about it when we get done. But, oh, um, <laughs> I would have just waited until you could talk about it so we could promote it. No, we'll have you, we'll, maybe we'll have you back then. Yeah, it uh, it's, it's not like massive. It's not like traders massive. I mean, <laughs> it may be more like let's make a deal massive. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, it's it's pretty exciting. Um, that should happen within the next month, actually, um, and I'll have more details after that. Then, but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. So, um, yeah, but yeah, you can follow me on Instagram. It's at Michael Davidson underscore. I think I gained the least amount of followers from all of my Trader castmates. Well, let me rephrase that. Let me rephrase that. I probably started with the least amount of followers. I maybe had like 300. You know what I mean? So I probably have the least amount now, but I started with the least amount too. So. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm not really that great of an entertaining person. I just post 75,000 stories a day on Instagram. So that's it. He's Michael Davidson, season one of The Traders. Check him out in the future. Follow him on, follow him on Instagram. Michael, thanks again for coming on. Thank you for having me, brother. All right, y'all. That concludes our conversation today with Michael Davidson from the Traders Season 1. And he won money on Let's Make a Deal. So how about that? It was great having him on here. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that. Um, If you guys did not watch the Traders, I hope you guys skipped ahead to the Faith Conversation because, man, that was some... That's an incredible testimony Um, and really cool because we've actually had a couple now ex-atheists on this show sharing their story, um, which is really cool. So hopefully you guys enjoyed it. 
And we'll be back again soon with more content, more sports content, but also uh, conversations with reality television contestants as well. So make sure you guys subscribe to the Jack Vita Show on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And then follow me at Jack Vita Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Like I said, we'll be back again soon. And until then, I'm Jack Vita, bringing the dancing lobsters.